Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week we're going to hear from Matt Densky as he talks at our United Night of Worship about being known by God and knowing God. We'll look at Matthew 21 verses 12 through 16 when Jesus goes to the temple and we see a side of Jesus that we don't normally see as he gets upset at the temple since it's not being used as a house of prayer. Matt talks about how our faith isn't determined by earning it, but by grace and how everyone has access to the Father. Our God isn't a God of earning, but receiving. We can come to Jesus and let him clean up our hearts. We hope you're encouraged and enjoy this message. All right. Well, guys, welcome. Yeah. Thank you, man. I feel the love. It's nice. Thank you. Hey, uh, if you don't know me, it is so nice to meet you. And um, one thing I want you to know about me, man, is is silence is... uh, Dude, I, I'm just more and more convinced that a quiet church is oftentimes a dead church, or at least a, a, a church that's asleep. So if you desire to be a little loud tonight, you can be loud. If you desire to be a little rowdy, wow, wow. If I, if I say something and the Spirit just affirms it in your heart, it doesn't hurt to say amen. You know what I mean? Like, I won't, I won't get mad at that. Even if you're shy and you're like, amen, okay, I won't get shy, all right? Uh, I tend to move around a lot when I preach, and so if I fall, I'm trusting you guys to catch me. Because look, I'm looking out. I'm not, I'm not looking at that step. So if you see me going, I need you guys, all right? Hey, so uh, when, I was 16, when I was 16 years old, I started going to a student ministry for the first time ever in my life. I didn't even know they existed. Stuff like this, I didn't grow up with. I didn't even know this was a real thing. I didn't really grow up in church, uh, even though I grew up in the South, which is kind of an anomaly, I know. But I had a dad who was a New Englander and kind of raised Catholic himself, so I just didn't really grow up around all of this, Jesus or even the church language or understanding what it's all about. And so um, when I was 16, I went to a, a youth group for my first time ever. First time. I didn't know they were real. And it was really strange. It was really weird. Imagine never experiencing that, and you go to one for the first time. It's bizarre if you're not ready for it. Seeing stuff like pies getting thrown in the face and like weird things happening and the energy of worship even, like if you don't know what that's about, it's strange. And I remember sitting there as a 16 year old thinking, this is strange, this is weird. (laughs) Like these people are weird, (laughs) right? And, uh, but I was curious about it all. I was seeking and so I kept going back. And as a 16-year-old, really, I was just chasing girls, and this student ministry had a lot of girls. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, like, (laughs) holla at your boy, you know? Um, (laughs) Ladies. Uh, So I kept going back. But after a month and a half, something strange happened, really strange happened. It was a a very bizarre event. There was this, this guy in the student ministry. There was a student in the ministry. His name was Brent, and I'll never forget this. So I'm sitting in the room where I usually do, and Brent stands up in the room, in the front of the room. Like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. Like, this isn't part of the, the, the worship. This isn't part of the service. Brent stands up. He's got tears streaming down his face. And this dude, let me just tell you, in the ministry, like, everybody looked up to Brent. Like, this is one of those dudes who just like, love Jesus, man. Like, everybody loved Brent. And he stood up with tears going down his face, like, just snot, just like, it was just the mess, right? And so... Um, Brent stood up and he turns to the room and he says to the room, hey, I want you guys to know I have been faking this whole thing. 
And dude, I like, imagine this, right? Like, it's just like silence, man. Like, no one's saying anything. Everyone's like kind of shocked because we all love Brent. Everyone looked up to Brent. He says, hey, I just want you to know I've been faking this whole thing. He's crying. He's weeping. And then he says, but I want you to know that as of tonight, I'm in. Like, I'm, I'm believing in Jesus. I'm in this whole thing. Like, no more faking it. No more two-facing it. No more hypocrisy. Like, I am in. And people were like sobbing and people were celebrating and people were rejoicing and people were confused. And I remember I was sitting in the back of the room, literally, and I was like, dude, is everyone high? Like what is happening in this room? Like is this a drama? Is this a play? I don't, literally, I thought in my mind, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't know what's happening. What does he mean he's faking it? He's here. I see him. He's tangible. And if he's faking it, am I faking it? Like, I don't know. What does that even mean? And that seed of a thought got planted in my brain and started to rattle around and eat away. And so I eventually sought out the youth pastor. His name's Scott. I said, hey, Scott. He said, yeah, man. I said, hey, man, could we meet one night? in your office, and could I just lay, lay it out, and you lay it out? I've just got some questions that I need help with, bro. And so we met after, after church, and I told him these, these things. I said, hey, listen, man, my dad was Catholic, uh, so I was sprinkled when I was a baby, and then there was like a, a weird year where we started going to church when I was older, so I was baptized too. <laughs> your boy got wet. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, I think God is real. I think God is real. So what does that mean? And Scott looks at me, he says, hey man, I'm just gonna lay it out for you. And for the first time in my life, I heard the gospel, I heard the good news about Jesus. For the first time in my life, someone opened the scriptures and connected the dots. And Scott started using language like friend with God. And start, Scott started using language like being known by God. And, and Scott started using language like walking with God. And dude, it hit me like a freight train. I realized I don't have any of that. Like my belief system in God is that he's real, but you're talking as if he's like a friend. Bro, I don't know what that feels like, sounds like. I'm not, I'm not there. And that night, as a 16-year-old teenage student, I believed in Jesus for the first time in my life. And I was, I was blown away by these two simple truths, that you can know God and that you can be known by God. I was blown away by these two truths, and I know it's not like profound, it's not like you haven't heard these before, but as a 16-year-old, I hadn't. I was sitting there and I was like, what? You can be known by God? Like he's personal? Yeah, he's interested in you, he wants to know you. What? And I can know him, like talk to him? Yeah. I mean, forget the students. I thought Scott was like the dealer of some heavy marijuana. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, what are you talking about? How can I know God? He's this force, and how can I be known by him? But that night as a 16-year-old, I believed for the first time in Jesus, and my life was changed by those two simple truths because I realized I don't know God. Scott, the way you're talking about it, this friendship, I don't have that. I just think he's real. I don't, I realized I just knew of him. I knew about him. I didn't know him. And tonight I want to talk to you about those two very simple but very life-changing truths that you can know God and that you can be known by God. 
And if you have the faith to sink your teeth into those two ideas, they can radically and revolutionary change your life. And I'm speaking from perspective and experience there. So I want us to go tonight to a passage of Scripture in the book of Matthew. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen for you. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 tonight. And uh, admittedly, this is one of these passages of Scripture that is so often misunderstood because we get a glimpse of Jesus here that we're just not familiar with. We get a glimpse of like an angry Jesus here. Like he's worked up. Something stirred him up. And we don't often get this glimpse like, a lot of us are like, ooh, I like the Jesus with, like, the lamb on his shoulder. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, just scratching his chin. That's the Jesus I like. He looks gentle, that little lamb poodle thing. Or I like the Jesus, man, he's got, like, the dove coming down on him. You know what I mean? Like, world's first magician. He gets baptized, like, this dove just lands. Hello. I like the Jesus that's all about social injustices, people suffering meeting people's needs. I like the Jesus that's preaching the messages for the widows and the homeless and the children. I like the Jesus that's inviting the kids in, man. That's the Jesus that I, like we all have those perceptions of Jesus. This is a passage that's kind of like, dude, I don't know what to do with this Jesus. But you got to take Jesus as a whole, man. You can't piecemeal him. So we're going to look at this passage tonight. Admittedly, it's a difficult passage, and it's a glimpse of Jesus that we don't often see, but I believe it's one of the most powerful passages in the Gospels, and I think it's one of the clearest displays of God's heart to be known and to know us. So we're going to take a look, man. I'm just going to read this through. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned tables of the money changers and of the seats of those who sold pigeons. Jesus got a thing about birds, man, you know. He overturned those seats, and he said to them, It's written that my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Verse 14, The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, hey, don't you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, yeah, I hear it. Haven't you ever read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. This is our passage. This is our passage. So we're going to break it down. Have you guys, have you guys ever walked with someone, been a friend to someone, known someone for a while, and you're pretty sure you got them figured out. Like you're like, I- I've seen their different angles. I've seen it when they wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I've seen their worst days. Like I'm married, I'm going on seven years now. <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but. <laughs> oh man, my wife's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, man. Um, Uh, but let me tell you something about marriage, man. All the married people in the room, can I get an amen real quick? You don't even know what I'm about to say, but you know it's true. Can I get an amen real quick? Yeah. You You don't know someone until you marry someone. And when you marry someone, all of a sudden you realize, I think my wife is demon possessed. You know what I mean? Like, cameraman's agreeing. That was smooth. No, I'm just kidding. I love her. But there are days where it's hard. And guess what? There are days where I'm hard. She didn't know that going in. Nobody knows that. 
You agree blindly to this whole thing, for better or for worse. That's what makes it beautiful, yo. We choose in the love, okay? So I think, I think sometimes there are people that we think we know, and then we see this different angle of them, and we're kind of surprised by it. You know what I mean? Like, ooh, I didn't know you were like that. And I'll never forget this, man. When I was younger, <clears throat> I had a best friend, my best friend in the world, Mike. If your name is Mike, <laughs> right here, man, place in my heart. My best friend in the world, Mike. And guys, um, it was really cool when I was in like fourth grade, fifth grade. It was really cool to have laser pointers. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I know you're like, that's weird. Okay, but stuff trends, you know, like whatever. So <laughs> don't, don't judge me. I loved him, all right? Um, so one day, Mike and I, we went to the mall. And uh, by that, I mean his mom drove us to the mall. And... Uh, and we bought laser pointers. First time. Like we had, you know, played with them and they were real cool, but we bought them on our own. Your boy holding it down. <laughs> you know, I make the money, 20 bucks. Um, so we bought them. And we didn't tell Mike's mom that we bought them. We didn't tell Mike's mom. Now her name is Susan. And I just want you to know, Susan is the sweetest lady that God has ever made, past, present, or future, all right? Aside from my mom, she's the sweetest mom in the world, okay? She was awesome. Like I said, Mike and I were best friends. I was over at his house all the time. We were always having sleepovers. Like Susan was like my second mom. She was unbelievably sweet and I love her. She's just one of those moms that you're just like, ah, I wish my mom were like her. And you say that in front of your mom. You know what I mean? Like, come on, mom. Just kidding, lighten up, all right? But Susan was great. She was always sweet, always caring, always warm, always hospitable. So Mike and I had these laser pointers, and uh, we were goofing around with them, you know, like walking through the mall, <laughs> zow, behind the back, <laughs> like all this weird stuff. And we got home, and we were like, ooh, we should wait till nighttime. So we go on his back porch at night. Remember, his mom doesn't know we got these. So we go on his back porch, and we start shining them around. Like, oh, I got it in that window. <laughs> you know, like, like just total nerds. It was like, Whoa, where did you shine yours? And so we're like shining them in all these homes and houses. And we're just having a grand old time. Well, we go inside and we go like play, I don't know, video games or whatever. And um, here's what we didn't realize happened in the course of time. We didn't realize that one of the homes that we shined our laser pointers in uh, belonged to a police officer. <laughs> yeah, your, your boy's about to get in trouble. And uh, we didn't realize that as those red dots were sailing around his room and crossing his body and face and forehead, that his wife would see those and knowing the line of duty he's in, that she would perceive he's about to get whacked, like sniped straight up. Like there's an assassin out there and they have a scope on my husband and he's about to go. We, did, we didn't realize that she would perceive it. Take a joke, lady. <laughs> we didn't know that uh, Mr. Police Officer would decide to get in his car. He caught a glimpse of where the lasers were coming from. We didn't realize he, he would get in his car, drive around the neighborhood, pick up the plate, uh, the house numbers on the house, and then go home and open up <laughs> something called a phone book. <laughs> you can ask Siri about it later. But he would open up a phone book and then match the address of the house to the phone number and then call up Mike's mom, Susan, my, my sweet second mom, Susan, and tell her uh, exactly what we did. And I just remember, this is one of the very few times in my life 
I knew there was such a thing as mortality. Like I knew I could die. You know what I mean? Like one of those sobering moments, like I'm about to be murdered. <laughs> you know, like we were upstairs in this room and we heard footsteps coming up the stairs and the door flies open. And Susan is there. Like it's Susan, it's her body, but I sense Satan's presence. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, and she, dude, I will never forget that, like, door flies a whack, and she just steps forward, give them to me. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> like playing dumb, give what? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> the laser pointers. And so we, like, gave them to her, and dude, like, one of the most terrifying experiences of my, of my life, sometimes, maybe you know this, she didn't say anything. You know what I mean? Like, she takes them, and just walks away. And then you're left hanging like, bro, are we dead? Like, are we in heaven and we just don't remember her murdering us? Or like, what is she going to do? Like, the silence was killer, man. And I will never forget. I honestly think about Susan like twice a year in that moment where as a fifth grader, I thought, I I'm going to die. Like, this is it. She's going to call my mom and say, I mutilated your son because he pretended to be a sniper to a policeman. <laughs> like, and my mom would say, well, he deserved it. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I'll never forget, man. It was one of those times I like knew her and then all of a sudden I saw this totally different side of her and I was like, oh. <laughs> and I think that's something that's going on with Jesus in this passage. It's like we know him and we know all about him, but in this passage all of a sudden it's like, ooh, I didn't, okay, okay, this is a different angle. Okay, like rotating the prism here, like that's new. <laughs> and I wanna look at this passage, all right? So just to give you some context, here's what's going on. Something called Passover is going on in Jerusalem right now. And in this time, Passover was like the pinnacle of Jewish celebrations. It was like a week-long festival. It was a huge celebration, a huge party. Everyone's there. And they're traveling all over from Israel and even other countries surrounding Israel. They're coming into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And on Passover, the population of Jerusalem could easily swell up to four times. It was around 50,000 people in population. Jerusalem could easily be 200,000 people during Passover. Like, it just got packed. So everyone's there. And everyone's there to celebrate God, to worship God. And in Jerusalem is the temple of God, is the house of God, is the church, y'all, to use some modern-day language for it, is the house of God. And in order to worship God in the Old Testament and in the early parts of the New Testament, you had to go to the temple. You couldn't just like from your home have this relationship and conversation with God. You had to go to the temple. The temple was the epicenter of faith in the Old Testament. The center of the world, as it were, if you believed in God the Father. And you went there because the Ark of the Covenant, which is where Moses put the Ten Commandments and other things, that golden like square chamber that they carried around, the Ark of the Covenant was in the temple, and it's believed that God's presence dwelt over the Ark, and the Ark was separated from the people by this curtain. And so there was this visual reminder, God's presence is here, but you can't openly access it. But you come to the temple anyway, and you make sacrifices, and you try to pray to God, and listen to God, and talk to God, and this is where you worship. You come from all around to do it. And so some people picked up on this, especially during Passover, and they decided, hey, if we're smart about this, we can make a lot of money. Because one of the things that the Old Testament required is when you come and make a sacrifice to God, you do it with doves. 
You sacrifice these birds. Jesus is all about the birds, man. You sacrifice these doves. But if you were really, really, really poor, you could sacrifice a couple of pigeons. They'd be all right. We get a glimpse in Luke chapter 2. Jesus' parents sacrificed pigeons when they presented him to God. God himself was raised by poor parents. They couldn't afford doves. They got some pigeons. Jesus goes into the temple, and here's what's going on. All these people from all around the world in Israel are there to make sacrifices to God. But doves ain't abundant, y'all. It's not just like you open your window at breakfast and reach out. <laughs> like, I'll take that to the temple. No, like you went to the temple oftentimes empty-handed, but you could purchase doves there. But here's the deal. You could only purchase them with a specific kind of coin. So you're traveling from all over the country and all over the other countries. You don't have that coin. So you go to, say, you go to buy a dove. Oh, dude, I don't have this currency. I don't have this money. And the dude would be like, yeah, head down there. There's some money changers down there. They'll give you what you need. So you go down to the money changers. All right, I need to buy a couple of doves. Well, how much you got? How much do I have? Like, it's not a flat rate? No. How much you got? Well, I got this. Yeah, you can't afford that. I could get you some pigeons for that, but you can't afford doves. What? Really? Yeah, we're going to hook you up with some pigeons, so they're real nice, but they ain't doves. And so in the house of God, you would have people cheating and extorting those who have come to worship. You can't purchase this without the right money. You can't acquire that money unless you transfer your currency into that money. They jack up the prices, especially during Passover when 200,000 people are there to worship. So then you get this and you walk down to purchase your dove or pigeon or whatever. And man, you just spent like all you had. You can't even stay in Jerusalem anymore. Like you spent your hotel money on. They jacked you up. That's what was going on in the house of God, in the church, in the place of worship. God himself rolls onto the scene. Jesus enters the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. God rolls up and he's like, nah, this ain't happening. There's a passage of scripture that talks about Jesus making a whip. I mean, dude, this wasn't, Jesus didn't walk in. Hear me, people. Jesus didn't walk in and go, what? in the name of me is happening here, right? Like, he ain't like, I'll take this pretty easy. Let me flip that over. No. Dude rolled in and was like, this ain't happening. Indiana Jones. Jesus got the table. It ain't happening. That's heavy. I almost lost it. I almost lost it. That's a finger right there. He's getting the chairs. I flipped that over too. I got it. That was a firm grip. I wasn't going to let that one hit you. If the wood broke, I'd have felt bad, okay? He ain't friendly here. But Matt, dude, ah, this is like Mama Susan coming for the laser. I know. We don't know what to do with this Jesus. Dude, Jesus, ah, man, like I'm not used to this. Why is Jesus so upset about what's going on here? Dude, he is walking through the house of God, God in the flesh, kicking stuff over, pushing this. Get out of here. Stop it. Like all this stuff. Why? I think Jesus wants to show us something, tell us something, reveal something to us about the heart of God from this passage. 
first thing I want you to know is I think Jesus is saying, hey, listen, this whole way of doing things, this way of worshiping, this way of approaching God, this way of understanding religion, it's coming to an end. I think Jesus was displaying in this moment all this stuff I'm about to bring to an end, not to do away with it, but because I'm fulfilling all the requirements of the Old Testament and the temple system. You don't have to come and sacrifice anymore in this place. You can worship God from your own house if you want to. You don't have to pay for this. You don't have to get extorted or cheated. This is not the heart of God, to be robbed so that you can come and talk to me no, man, I'm doing away with this. In fact, I think Jesus modeled through his death the final sacrifice that our faith required. You don't have to sacrifice things any longer. It's the only time in history where the offering was the offerer. The sacrifice willingly gave itself. He purchased an animal. Jesus laid his own life down, showing us that there's a final sacrifice once and for all. You don't need to do this anymore. And man, if your faith has been defined over the years by sacrifice, so, and, and what I mean by this is, if somewhere in your mind or heart you feel like you've got to earn your way into God's love and earn your way into God's presence and earn your way to get God to listen to you, man, you just got to heap them up. You got to stack them up. You got to do enough, be enough, earn enough. Jesus wants to tell you that's done. It's free. It's final. And you can approach God, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're in Jerusalem or whether you're in Greenville. That way is done. God is now open to all. I think that's one of the things Jesus was trying to show. I think there's another one, though, and a pretty important one. If we continue the passage, verse 14 says this, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Man, that's interesting. Once Jesus cleansed the temple of all the thieves and the greedy and the robbers, all of a sudden, people who really needed God could come to God. You see, man, what these money changers did and what these sellers and peddlers did is they said, listen, you can't get in here unless you have just the right amount of money. You think poor people were trying to get in the temple? Nah. They knew we can't even afford pigeons, y'all. Why would we go? We can't afford that. And look what Jesus does. He cleanses the temple. He removes all these crooks and burglars and greedy people from the house of God. And all of the sudden, the scriptures say, and now the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Jesus made room for those who really need him. Do the rich need him? Do those corrupt need him? Did they need him too? Yeah. And so I want you to know, Jesus wasn't displaying a hatred towards them as much as he was a hatred towards the system in which they created. Jesus was there for all, but he wants the nobodies. He wants the poor. He wants to make room in the house of God for them too. That's a good amen right there. Thanks. Remember what I said, if you feel, you know, you can amen, you can amen that. I mean, that's good, man. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's not me talking, it's the spirit. You know what I mean? It's crazy. All right. Let's continue. Chief priests, scribes saw these wonderful things. There were children crying out, man, this is God. 
Glory to God, the son of David. Look what's happening. They said, they say, hey, don't you hear what they're saying? Dude, they're calling you God. And Jesus said, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a paraphrase. He didn't really say it like that. But he's like, yeah, dude, haven't you ever heard the scripture? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you've prepared praise. I mean, Jesus was basically saying, yeah, they're not wrong. I'm God. And this, among many other claims to deity, is what got him murdered. They just couldn't handle that. Eventually, the Pharisees did take it to the point where they're like, yeah, let's just kill the guy. But these kids knew, man. These babies knew. Man, this is God. This is God. I want you to know that I think the last thing Jesus is modeling in this passage is that we can know God. We can know God. Remember, that's what my youth pastor laid out to me. You can know God. You can be known by God. Man, that was revolutionary for me. That was radical for me. You can know God. Well, Matt, how does Jesus model that from this passage? Well, remember I said the setup of the temple was really interesting, where you did all the purchasing and the sacrifices. That was in like this outer courtyard. Imagine like the grassy area that you guys came in. But inside the temple, there was this sacred room, this chamber. The Ark of the Covenant was in there. We believe the presence of God dwelled over the Ark, and there was this curtain separating it. No one could go in there except one person, but only one time a year. And I want to throw this other passage of Scripture up here from Matthew. This is out of Matthew chapter 27. Verse 51, when Jesus died, look at what happens. This is simultaneously according to the time when he dies. And behold, the curtain of the temple, the curtain which separated the presence of God from the people of God, this curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The curtain was torn, y'all. That's an amen if I've ever heard one. And listen. And listen, it wasn't some dude at the bottom of the curtain saying, yeah, now is the time, and ripping it from bottom to top. Look at the scriptures. Jesus died, and the curtain is ripped from top to bottom, signifying God saying, I'm making a way. And, and everybody and everybody has unimpeded access to the Father. That's what Jesus is all about in this passage. I want you to know, I want you to know that what Jesus has done is he said, this way of worshiping is finished. You don't have to earn this. You don't have to sacrifice for this. You don't have to be good enough. You can't clean yourself up enough. All you have to do is accept what I've done for you. I'm the final sacrifice. Man, he's made room for the nobodies. For the marginalized, for the outcasts, the blind and the lame were now able to go. I want you to know, man, if you've ever had a thought in your mind or heart and you've thought, dude, man, I can't go to God. I, dude, I, man, I'm such a broken, sinful, shameful person. Dude, I've got so much baggage and so much mess. There's no way God would want me. Dude, look. He's made a way for everybody. And if anyone, if anyone in the church has ever made you feel the opposite, if anyone has ever said, you're not worth it, you're not good enough, you can't come in dressed like that, you can't come in acting like that, dude, you gotta get your life cleaned up first. Bro, I saw your Instagram, you need to do some things less, if you know what I mean. Hey, you need to break up with that person first. No! You come to Jesus first and then you let him do the working in your heart. You let him clean you up. 
Man, don't buy into this traditional religious thing that Jesus came to demolish and fulfill. God is not about you earning. He's about you receiving. He'll do the changing. You just invite him in. The curtain was torn. Access to God was unrestricted, unimpeded. Rich or poor. No matter matter where you come from in life. No matter what race you are, no matter what gender you are. No matter your background no matter your future, the access to God has been opened. We begin tonight by saying, hey man, two truths that shook my world. You can know God and be known by God. Let me simplify it by saying it like this. God desires a relationship with you. Do this stop me in my tracks as a 16-year-old? He wants a relationship? Yeah, to know you, to talk to you, to listen to you. God wants to listen to me? Yeah. Why? He loves you. And I just want every single person in this room tonight to know God desires a relationship with you. And he's made a way. The curtain's been torn. The veil has been broken. God's presence is accessible by all. God wants all. He's made room. He loves you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we pray that you would stir our hearts and our souls towards you tonight. We pray, Jesus, that uh, you would draw us to you. If there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, Jesus, we pray they would. You do desire a relationship with us. You desire to be our friend and to walk with us. Sometimes to turn the tables over in our own hearts for things we've set up that have gotten in the way of knowing you. So Jesus, we pray, we invite you to do it. It's a scary prayer, but we ask that you would turn over our hearts if you need to, but draw us to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.